It's the Misdeeds and Intrigue podcast, featuring stories of royals, scandals, and true crime. Here are your hosts, Carrie and Larissa. Hey, 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 just a quick heads up. This episode was recorded prior to that interview with the Sussexes. I can't even say I have a lisp. And Oprah last week. We released our commentary on it prior to this one. So you may hear us make a comment or two that seem a little outdated. Uh, As we watched, we didn't know that we were going to get a chance to cringe and observe along with everyone else as Harry aired his family issues and some old hurts. Hopefully he didn't see his dad's reaction when they asked if he was in love when they were announcing his parents' engagement. When you were watching it, you know, it's like you could see his mum's boot print on the back of his jacket. Are you in love? Lovely little question. Very typical question to ask people who've just got engaged. And I suppose in love? Of course. <laughs> Whatever in love means. <laughs> that recently came out in a nice little documentary this week. Anyways, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at SipshinePod. And I think probably TikTok soon will probably ramp that up. As always, love ya. But first, champagne. Hey, hey, hey. Welcome to today's show. I'm Carrie and this is Larissa. Welcome back to Sip and Shine Podcast. We have a couple little things that hit the news today. And then I really want to talk to you about the bigger news story that we couldn't get to yesterday. But I'm so excited. I know. Yeah, you had no idea. You had never heard of it, did you? No. And then once I took a deep dive, I'm like, I can't stop. This is crazy. Why is there like not a Netflix about this? Why is there not? It's literally the Charles Manson of our generation without the killing yet. There is a podcast about it, though. Oh, I want to listen to it. It's in the run-up to the Oprah Winfrey interview, which will be broadcast here uh, on Monday on International Women's Day. But it reveals claims about Meghan bullying members of her own staff. News broke today of Meghan Markle. There was an HR complaint and her PR is saying that it's Buckingham Palace. Her persecution. It's trying to smear her <laughs> ahead of this weekend. However, Buckingham Palace's only response was that our HR is now looking into it that this is an age thing some of these people have left and that the royal family is saying mom because they're just worried about prince philip so it's so weird to me that Meghan markle wants to talk about her the last few years staff members apparently were mistreated by her correct and since and since then they've quit yes and that this is old complaint but then hr it's kind of bad on them if they're just now looking into it unless that's just like a canned response but it just sounds like such a canned corporate response like we are looking into these allegations very seriously yeah their secretary of communications who now runs the duke and duchesses of cambridge's some foundation or something like that back in 2018 he had lodged a complaint saying that two of their female assistants were pushed out remember they had the, all that turnover of staff and it was because of their treatment by megan two of the female assistants younger assistants quit and left and then there was like a third complaint and he had lodged a complaint. Oh, juicy. I wonder what she did. I know. And I wonder if it's like a cultural thing, if it was very type A type behavior. I have to say, if I suddenly went from blogger 
of the TIG to to then a princess, maybe I would have been bratty too, like or type A. I can't or, picture her yelling because she's got this perfect persona, or maybe not used to having all the staff suddenly. But now I'm wondering. Is that an act or is she like the freeze them out type of person? Like, I'm just not going to talk to you. I'm just going to ignore you if I get upset with something you do. I, you know, who knows? Very like devil wears Prada. She's on her way. Tell everyone. She's not supposed to. All right, everyone, gird your loins. Passive aggressive. And if you're so used to controlling your image and then suddenly now you have all this staff, I could see where certain people, including myself when I was younger, would have been more uptight or controlling or it's hard to delegate things. I don't know. I don't know. I'm very interesting, but I, I kind of put blame on both sides for this. Like one side want, doesn't want to, wants to talk about the past selectively. And the other one, it's like, how come you didn't address these HR issues back in 2018? So it's like both on both sides, you can't pick and choose what you want to talk about with that experience. If you are going to do it, quote unquote, authentically, part of growth is also owning what you do, too. And then on the other hand, I'm like, that's a really shitty HR department. I mean, they had to know something was wrong when when the girls quit, right? Well, that's what he said. He said he had been a complaint. Okay. He's younger, too. These are not old, like, relics of the of the palace, you know. But the whole thing is very intriguing. I kind of was like, ooh, bad on the HR department. No, that's true. That's true. And you don't make that much money working at the palace anyways. I think the- It's the prestige of just working there. I work at the palace. Okay. Five o'clock this morning, I got up, dragged my ass to the gym, and I've been watching on the treadmill. Bravo for you, by the way. Good God. (laughs) So when I'm not running to military cadence, I walk at an incline and I do HIIT training. But here I am now at the gym watching TV on the treadmill. I love when you turn on Netflix and there's like a little new present waiting for you. It's like a new series. Oh, what was the new one you watched? Murder Among the Mormons. The only way to keep a secret between two people is to kill one of them. It's kind of true. The state of Utah has long been the home of the Mormons. I love the gospel with all my heart. They are driven by history, and they want to preserve documents. Mark Hoffman found document after document. First editions, history, Americana, worth $1.5 million. He was a rock star. Religion sometimes breeds amongst people some extremes. The first explosion ripped through a downtown office building, killing one man. The second explosion outside of a holiday home claimed another life. Okay, I was tempted to watch that, but it seemed boring to me. Is it? A little bit, but at least it's refreshing because it's something new. It's something new. That's all I'm like happy about. It's something new. So it's kind of like the movie, Can You Ever Forgive Me? of Melissa McCarthy meets Mormon mystique, which is always mysterious, meets true crime. So I don't want to give it completely away, (laughs) but I will give you a little bit of background. It said this story from the 1980s shocked the Salt Lake City Mormon community and threatened the historical foundation of the church altogether. So bombings killed two people and severely injured Mark Hoffman, a renowned collector of rare documents, including the infamous White Salamander Letter, an artifact whose contents threatened to shake the very foundation of Mormonism. What do you do with documents that have the potential of destroying someone's faith? 
I remember it specifically because it was my birthday, December 27th, 1983. Mark said, come here, I'm going to show you something that no one has seen. He takes out of his briefcase the salamander rider. That was in the box where the gold plates were. What? What? Wow. Number one, I did not remember this in 1985. I don't remember that either. I don't think I was paying attention though, but yeah. Oh, I can just imagine what you and I were doing in 1985. Secondly, (laughs) there was this gentleman that was featured as a friend. He has like a very kind of high pitched voice. I I think maybe he might have had like a throat issue or something like that. This is coming from somebody who has a very high pitched voice myself. He goes, don't ask me that. I don't want to make him a hero, but he was fantastic. And he's like so iconic. He completely makes the show. And he reminds me of that little Southern fabulous guy who's like on TikTok or he'll do cameos. And he's like, it smells like gin and bad decisions in here. Karen Walker. I thought I smelled gin and regret. (laughs) He just, this guy is going to, is destined for cameos. He's going to be on cameos. Yes. He, he makes the whole thing. And he's, he's one of the Mormons or who is he? Yeah. Yeah. He was a friend of the guy. He's, he almost reminds me of the guy from fire fraud that was going to sell himself for the water. He is, he's iconic. You've got to watch him just for that. And he wears like a bow tie and the whole deal. Okay. Okay. I will consider it then. So why don't you set us up about Sarah Lawrence? A man long suspected of exploiting and manipulating his daughter's college friends is in jail this morning. His name is Lawrence Ray. He's 60 years old. He was arrested yesterday by the FBI and New York Police Department on charges including sex trafficking, money laundering, extortion, and forced labor. In a nutshell, how it kind of came to headlines is, what, about 10 years ago at Sarah Lawrence College, there was a student, a female student, and she moved into the dorms. They they weren't really like dorms. They were more like little quads. So nine kids could fit in a quad. So she moved into a quad at Sarah Lawrence and her dad moved in with her which is a red flag right there. Super weird. After he got out of jail, no less. So he was like 50s, early 50s, moving into this dorm with his daughter. And I guess it was, I think, seven other girls and one guy from what I can kind of gather. So he moves in and apparently the dean said, oh, we can't do anything about it because parents can visit their kids on campus, which I think is a crock of shit. You can visit your kid, but you can't live with your kid in student housing. I don't know how many rules that breaks. I'm not sure, but it's got to break some type of rule. I feel like he just didn't want to deal with it or the guy was like super persuasive or something because he's one of those people that would get away with stuff and run under the radar. He had this weird charm and yet this weird influence and this gaslighting method that just corralled all these 19 year olds he would sleep on an air mattress in his daughter's room or he would sleep on the couch in the main quad area he'd make them dinner every night they'd have movie nights he's just like one of the kids you know hanging out but during this whole time He's counseling them, supposedly, you know, with their teenage angst problems about boyfriends. And at one point, he even tells one of the girls, he tells everyone, oh, I need to sleep in Isabella's room, which is 
which is not his daughter. So he, he goes into her friend's room and says, she needs my support. I'm going to sleep on her floor. He makes everyone think they're crazy, kind of like the Woody Allen story, for, for thinking that as any other motive other than to sleep on her full floor and, and guide her through this supposed breakup. So he kind of gaslights all these kids. And in the summertime, none of them have a place to go. So he has this apartment in New York City that an ex-partner of his or someone like a friend, an associate of his has. So they all move into this apartment. And I'm assuming it's not a huge apartment. And there's about six or seven people living in there. Yeah. And he removed the doorknob. So there was no privacy. When they slept, when they ate, everything was controlled by him, which is so weird how I think he like identified that these students were in this vulnerable stage in life and he was able to, I mean, even one question is sexuality. He was able to manipulate and exploit. It was almost like a show on Netflix, the pod or something that they would film to literally see if they could influence people. It was such a weird social experiment in a weird way. Uh, one of the boys was questioning his sexuality and he was dating one of the girls and he said, well, he would have them talk about it in front of him. And then pretty soon that evolved to them having sex in front of him while he watched. And then pretty soon that involved evolved into him inviting someone else into that. And then they were all having sex. It was just this twisted manipulation of these kids. And I mean, they aren't young kids like six or seven, but they're in that teenage category right before you hit your 20s where you're questioning life itself and by the way out of all these people he ran into I think four of them tried to commit suicide at least a dozen times after meeting him I think one of his main ways to get money they say it was from him owning domain names but I honestly think it was from him he would tell these kids he would tell their families um, you know Daniel damaged my property he did this. He would make up a list of damages that these kids had done to the property. And they would total something like, you know, $50,000. Uh, one girl said she had to ask cousins and family members because he quoted that she owed him $200,000 in property damages. What is the 19-year-old doing to cause $200,000 worth of property damage at an apartment. Didn't he also have them go to his property in North Carolina and try to dig like sewage or something for the summer? Yes. Yeah. And that's the one I think where he came, he, he got this exorbitant amount of money. I think it was four, four or $500,000. He was telling family members that one of the kids owed that much money because they really messed up his property. And, and then he would penalize them. He made a garrote for, it sounded like there was one or two, two boys in there. He made a garrote that he placed around his testicles and tightened. I forgot the reason for that. Why was he doing that, poor kid? He accused Daniel of the daughter missing the deadline for application for Stanford. So because he would do these group quote unquote counseling sessions, which is again, so cult-like, you would have to tell all your secrets and then they would exploit them and then you would get punished or whatnot. And so- made crushed pieces of aluminum foil into little balls and rolled them up inside a string of saran wrap, fashioning what Daniel describes as a necklace of metal lumps. Larry called it a garage. In front of the group, Larry ordered Daniel to wrap that contraption around his testicles and penis. Then Larry began twisting it, 
The metal cut off circulation to his genitals and dug into his flesh. This is bananas. And his daughter stayed by him the whole time. And this is a girl who, when she was growing up, the father accused the mother, Teresa, Talia's mother, of abusing her. And there was there was no fault. There was no abuse. Family members went into court. Everyone went into court. There's no abuse. There's no abuse. And the the girl stood by her father and she went to live with him. Then when she went to college, she went to live with her. And all these, all these allegations were unfounded. I mean, she won the court case clearly, but the daughter chose to live with the father. So at one point, two of them got away for the summer. He would tell who would get to have sex with who. So he coached them over Skype on how to have sex because he at first it was Isabella Daniel had to have sex with Isabella but then when they went away to Europe you know for their summer college trip he made Claudia have sex with Daniel and then he convinced Claudia that she had schizophrenia and her whole personality changed and then there was another individual named Santos in the group and he he went after their siblings too it was like a family that had immigrated from the Dominican Republic so they were a little bit more I think vulnerable to the influence, you know, they didn't have as many ties here. And he eventually prostituted the sisters. And one of them was the one that overdosed and ended up in the hospital. And that's the one who still stayed with him. This is what came out in the news this week, what I found fascinating. Isabella is one of the original ones that was considered a victim. She's the one that had the boyfriend, saw all this controlling behavior, broke up with her. She's 29 now. So she was dating a boy at 19. He noticed how weird Larry was by sleeping in her room. He was like, oh, I need to be there for her. He would control when they would eat, when they would sleep, everything. And the boyfriend came back from that summer and was like, I'm breaking up with you. This is just a weird situation. I'm not comfortable with this. And so she was considered originally by prosecutors to be one of the victims. Well, now she was arrested for also being a part of it. They think that she helped prostitute one of the other people in the group and made 200000 off of her. Misty, were you first off surprised when you saw that twist? I was absolutely surprised. Last year when Larry Ray was indicted, we heard victim, 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 victim relating to Pollock specifically. So what a twist to hear now that she's being charged as a co-conspirator. But what I will say In these types of cases where you have a criminal conspiracy of this nature, a a sex trafficking ring, the line between victim and accomplice under the law can be very, very blurred. Now, we don't know what's occurred during the course of this year-long investigation since Larry Ray was indicted. What else has come out? Text message videos. We don't know that information to date, what serves as the basis for Pollock's indictment. However, what I will say, oftentimes prosecutors may look to a co-conspirator or an accomplice in a criminal case for the purpose of leveraging that person to flip on their accomplice. So perhaps this is a way for prosecutors to get more information to leverage Pollock, to talk, uh, and and to be a part of the prosecution's case in exchange for leniency. We also know reports indicate that Larry Ray was communicating with some of these women while he was in jail this past year. So what were those communications? Did they factor into the prosecutor's choice to go after Pollock? 
all this only time will tell but my initial impression was wow what a change of tune by these same prosecutors yeah she was prostituting also right oh i don't know i didn't get that far. because he was calling isabella and one of the girl his wives he was he would call them each his wife and at some point two of them were prostituting and he was like their pimp and then i think she was actually trying to recruit other girls and i think that's how they got their money in the end but the crazy thing is is that he actually had somewhat of a serious background with, he said, the FBI. He called himself a serviceman, like he was an Air Force man, when in fact he was only in for like 17 days. He was out. So that doesn't mean anything. But he would fall into these weird situations where he knew just enough people to make him credible. So that would push him up to the next level of credibility. Because when Gorbachev came to the United States, Larry was setting up all these meetings with like Giuliani. I mean, really big political hitters at the Bushes. He was setting up these weird meetings between Gorbachev and these big political hitters. And, and then he, he kept on saying that he had these ties to the mafia and there were all these people chasing him. He was like delusional, completely delusional. But he knew just enough people to make other people think he was credible. Like his stories were so outlandish, but a few of them checked out. But long before these sex cult accusations came to light, Lawrence was a well-connected world traveler whose friends included former New York City Police Commissioner Bernie Carrick, who joins us now. When I started reading the story, which had the tabloids very recently, I saw your name in them. I was stunned. And then I learned that he was the best man at your wedding. So what were your first impressions of him? I met him, uh, I met him about two and a half years before I got married. Um, in my opinion, I believed him to be a patriot. Um, he was a successful business guy. Um, these are the things he portrayed. And, and to give you an idea, Doc, of, uh, of the, you know, the spectrum of people that he was around, um, he called me up from an airplane one time. Mm -hmm. And he said, uh, pick me up at JFK. I'm coming into JFK. I've got some friends. And... As he got off the plane and he was walking toward my car, I'm looking out the window and I said, wow, I said, this guy that he's walking with, he really looks like President Mikhail Gorbachev of the Soviet Union. Gosh. And uh, he puts Mikhail Gorbachev in the backseat of my car. On another time, he picks up the phone of my car. He calls the Commandant of the United States Marine Corps, um, General James Jones. Another time, he invites me to a private dinner and I walk in, and it's him, Governor Mario Cuomo, and, um, and, and Senator Robert Torricelli of New Jersey. At a private dinner at, at his restaurant in New Brunswick, New Jersey. So at no time that yeah. I think he was a complete lunatic, and I didn't realize it until later. Well, he was meeting with everybody that was powerful. He was taking Gorbachev around to meet lots of world leaders. I mean, it was sort of stunning to see how he had infiltrated high society, these right. power influencers. While you were friends, he asked you for a favor. He asked you if you would connect him to the FBI. Yeah, in, uh, in, in about 1997, I think, uh, he said that he had a problem with a contractor, a business problem. He said the contractor was affiliated with organized crime. He was concerned for his family, and he asked me to, you know, to assist him in getting to the FBI. I got him connected to the Bureau. The Bureau came in and talked to him. They realized he knew a bunch of characters in the organized crime world they were interested in, 
and basically signed him up as an informant for the FBI. And, um, and he worked for them for about a year until they realized that he himself was the target of another investigation. What he was trying to do is he was trying to get out of what he was under investigation for. He's Charles Manson, I'm telling you, because he had the connection with, with the Beach Boys and all that. That's crazy. And uh, Angela Lansbury's daughter would run with them with this. And why I even brought it up today on the show, because we've just been covering for our first few shows what's in the news right now, was because of the Nexium cult. That's where it does the line of victim and accomplice start and end because five of his most ardent followers of Keith Ranieri, they were arrested and prosecuted and pled guilty. So I think what it caused them to do, because the family's shocked that how did this suddenly become, she was a victim. You know, she moved on from all this. Is They're looking at that case again. They're using the Keith Ranieri case as kind of the benchmark. Ah, so, but he's, he never went to jail. Well, he did serve a little time in jail for with securities fraud or something. And the, what happened with the case with the child support and all that. He's, he's, he's yeah. six months there. He, he became an FBI informant because he also had mob ties and all that. And I, so I think he got reduced sentences, but they could never rely on him because no. he was so dishonest. <laughs> but right now, isn't he? St- he's still in jail, right? And he's no, made- I don't think he is. Is he? Oh, I thought he was. Because he, I thought, was still in jail with no chance of parole. Oh, really? Or without any chance of bail. But you never know because in New York right mm-hmm. now, they're like letting people out. Oh, he was accused of witness tampering in 2020 of August. Oh, my God. Larry Ray was in bed with victim in sex trafficking case when arrested, the prosecutor said in March of 2020. Okay, so he was arrested. So he is in jail. I think a lot of these cases I feel like are so shady because what ends up happening is with the COVID stuff, it's hard to kind of figure out what happened in some mm-hmm. of these cases when it first started because everybody's court cases became like a mishmash. Yeah. Pushed I mean. off. Yeah. And all that. So. And Daniel got out of the cult. And the reason they, I mean, it's not like one of those widespread cults where you have hundreds of members. It's a cult because he got these kids to do anything he wanted. And he actually got money out of their family and friends, a large amount of money. They say it's something over a million dollars that he, that he milked from all these people. And the fact that two of the girls, both of them ended up in Cedar sinai from trying to commit suicide. And then at one point he was saying that one of the girls was trying to poison him. Wasn't it Isabella who he said was trying to poison him for years and years and years? Oh, it was, yeah. And it was all kind of, they made all these accusations. Like it didn't even make sense. Again, like the Manson trials, the landlord of this apartment tried to take him to court to kick him out because he was uncomfortable about all the young people coming and going. The relationship with these young people lasted about a decade and these quote unquote renovations he was making to the place. During the trial, the siblings testified about the LSD and the poisoning and and all these really crazy accusations. It's such a confusing story. I mean, it's all over the place. They found on when they were doing the bail hearing in last year, because I think he's still in jail without bail. Besides the fact they found te- uh, text messages threatening some of the witnesses, in the iCloud of his phone, they found videos of him abusing students the accusations so i think that they refrain from giving him bail apparently yeah didn't didn't he hold a plastic bag over one of one of their heads and try and 
smother them that way. Uh, well, a lot of them, he held a knife to one's throat. He, uh, it reminds me of, um, was, we were just talking about this. Uh, Bill Spector. He would literally threaten people, threaten their lives, and just keep on doing it to keep a handle on him, to keep them under his power. And this guy just, he kept on, you know, oh, I'm going to hold a plastic bag over your head. Oh, I'm going to hold a knife up to your throat. I'm going to, you know, mutilate your nuts. Are you kidding me? Who does this? And the poor kid, like, I feel bad for him. But at the same time, if someone's twisting your balls into a little wad, wouldn't you just peace right on out of there? I'm out. I'm done. That's why I think this case and why I thought it was interesting in the news is one, we never really hear about it. Not like we've heard even about the Lisa Vallow case and all these other cases, but I am curious to see what's going to happen with this chick Isabella because the Nexium case apparently now has sent that benchmark and will people that are in these situations come forward? Are they going to be afraid that they're going to then be prosecuted? It's the whole thing is going to be very interesting legally. The one thing I'm not clear of is was Il- Isabella still with him these past few years? Um, let me look it up. Like when did the prostitution thing end with her? Recently? She was conspiring with arrested sex cult leader Lawrence Ray, who was pimping out his daughter's friends after he moved into her college dorm. Did Talia get any charges? I don't think so. She just disappeared. It doesn't really talk about Talia after that. So in 2010, Isabella Pollock was a 19-year-old student. So that's how when the relationship started. She continued to live with Ray for 10 years after the college sex call. In February 2020, Ray was arrested from a New Jersey house where he was found living with Pollock and another woman. Pollock ah. was initially being viewed by the in- investigators as a victim of Ray's abuse. After Ray's arrest, Pollock herself told New York Magazine, I'm 19. I was having a lot of difficulty making sense of things. I wasn't in a good place. He started to help me kind of process and make sense of a lot of things I just couldn't make sense of. However, her recent charges of conspiring with Ray has come as a shock to her family, but they still continue to believe in her innocence as her aunt has accused Ray for keeping her niece under her spell for a decade. Yeah, she's 29 now and still prostituting. She stayed with him for 10 years. Yeah. That's fishy to me. And when you're 19 and 20, yeah. Oh, by the way, when he was married, he would have a girlfriend. And That's right. He would share her with his associates or he would face repercussions. Yeah, business associates. That's he would right. send fo- he sent photos to the parents of one of the girlfriends because she refused. He would offer up the girlfriend to do sexual favors for him. But I don't understand the tie to the mafia. I'm unclear about that. I think it was through construction. He was part of the pump. It was, I saw that in the New York article. Yes. Do you know, do you know what that is? I don't know what that is. It was, no, I don't. I only know the pump and dump from, um, I'll tell you where I know the pump and dump from. The movie Kingpin with Bill Murray. Do you remember that one? No. Oh, stop it, you. It wasn't that bad. Oh, my little Roy toy. What is it about good sex that makes me have to crap? I guess it's all that pumping. Pump and dump. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, watch it and you'll understand what the pump okay. and dump is. Yes. 
<laughs> All right. Well, then on that note, yeah, <laughs> that's our homework item this week. Kingpin with Bill Murray. It's a very good film. Ciao, darling. Still too early to go to Tiffany's. I guess the next best thing is a drink. <laughs> I will never be the woman with the perfect hair who can wear white and not spill on it. All right, Mr. DeMille, I'm ready for my close-up. Let's play a game, all right? On the count of three, name your favorite dinosaur. Don't even think about it, just name it. Ready? One, two, three. Hey, it's me again, and you thought you probably had enough of my voice by now. Just a quick reminder to find us and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Miss Intrigue Pod. Follow us on Pinterest and Flipboard, where we collect featured stories from across the internet of royalty, chronicles of interesting events in history, and of course, true crime. Lastly, check out our YouTube channel because everyone has one, right? That features playlists of documentaries and other related segments from our podcast topics. And if you want to hit us up, check out MissDeedsAndIntriguePodcast.com. But we don't have a complaints department, just to give you a little heads up. The podcaster or authors assumes no responsibility or liability for any errors or omissions in the content of this podcast. The information contained on this podcast is an as-is basis with no guarantees of completeness, accuracy, usefulness, or timeliness. A reasonable amount of effort was made to deliver precise data. All views expressed by the podcast hosts or guest co-hosts are their own and do not necessarily represent the opinions of any entity whatsoever with which Carrie, Misdeeds, or Intrigue Podcast, or Larissa have been, am now, or will be affiliated. The content of this podcast is for personal, informational, and entertainment purposes only, and is not to be viewed for commercial use. Misdeeds and Intrigue Podcast respects the intellectual property of others. Any audio clips that were not generated by the podcast host or producer was pulled from the public domain, free use sites, and or from YouTube, or other authorized sites to gather information. The utmost effort was made to credit the author and or production. If at any time you feel that copyright was infringed, please email Carrie at misdeedsandintriguepodcast.com and immediate action will be taken to remove the audio clips that were present for entertainment purposes only.